Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Now, as we do get into the Christmas podcast on the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, I do want to let you know about what's going on on our other podcast. We also begin Christmas specials on the amazing world of radio at amazing.greatdetectives today. Our round robin crossover continues as I and two other old time radio podcasters are guests on Andrew Ryan's Old Time Radio Westerns podcast with an episode of Challenge of the Yukon. And tomorrow we'll have our second Christmas edition of the Old Time Radio Snack Wagon over at snackwagon.net. Well, now let's get into this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. Now, as always, if you are minded to listen to all five parts together, then I would encourage you to pause the podcast now and return on Friday when episodes three through five will be posted and listen to everything together. Now here, from December 19th and 20th of 1955, here now is the Nick Shurn Matter episodes one and two. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Don Wilkins, Johnny. Prime Mutual Limited. Oh, hi, Don. Thanks for the Christmas present. Well, just don't take out the cork near an open flame. Yeah. Uh, say, do you know anything about a guy named Mel Pryker? Nothing good about him. Why? Got himself killed last night. Murdered. Pryker was born to be murdered. Maybe so, but not at our expense. We're holding a $100,000 policy on him. Wow. Who's the beneficiary? His uh, partner, Nick Shern. Nick Shern? You picked a fine pair of rats. Yeah, I know that now. The New York police are holding Shern, but they've got no evidence. Go down there and check it out for us, Johnny. If Nick did the killing, we're off the hook. Any witnesses? One, apparently, the hat check girl in that nightclub of theirs. What's her story? I wish I knew. She's disappeared. We've got to find her, Johnny, before some of Nick's hoodlums find her. Don, maybe they already have. <laughs> Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office Trimutual Insurance Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of expenditures during my investigation of the Nick Shern matter. Item 1, 2280, transportation to New York, tips and incidentals, and taxi fare to the office of Lieutenant Ed Rafferty, Homicide Division, the man in charge of the case. Oh, hiya, Johnny. Where have you been? Not bad, Ed. How's the homicide business? Terrible. If you look at that teletype, shoplifting, five complaints right in a row. The week before Christmas, that's all we get, shoplifters. Mel Pryker wasn't shoplifting. Oh, you working on it, Johnny? Yeah, the insurance angle. Nick Shern's the beneficiary. A hundred grand policy. Well, you got a tough one, boy. Shern killed him all right, but I don't think we're going to be able to stick him. 
Come on in the office. Hey, you know what that kid of mine wants for Christmas? Marilyn Monroe? Oh, oh, next year, Johnny. He's only ten, you know. Go ahead. Okay, thanks. No, he, uh, he wants a motorbike. Can you tie that? Ten years old and he says he needs a motorbike. <laughs> Have a chair. Okay. Well, look, I know a factory representative here will make you a good deal on one, eh? Oh, now, forget it, Johnny. No, I was 14 before I even had a pair of roller skates. And then I had to buy them myself. You know, kids are spoiled today. That's the half of what's wrong with them. Uh, ah, there's the file on the case. What little we've got. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, how'd it happen, Ed? Uh, you mean, how do I think it happened? That's good enough for me. Mel Pryker and Nick Schoen were both in the rackets for years, as you probably know. Yeah, I've heard rumors. Well, a while back, they teamed up and opened a string of supper clubs. That's where Pryker got it, in their main club, the Chez Colette. Strictly legitimate, huh? Well, more or less, I guess. They could afford to be. The dough they were making and arguing over, according to the word around. That's the reason for the killing, the way you see it. Sure. Nick figured if half was good, all the take would be twice as good. And the insurance on top of it. Ah, you're a fast one, Johnny. <laughs> Anyhow, several people heard the shots about 2.30 in the morning, it was, right after the club closed, but none of them bothered to report it. The cleanup crew came in at 3 and found Pryker's body. He was lying in his office, shot twice, gun on the floor beside him, no prints. With his own gun, and it was kept there in his desk. Where was Nick Shern? Well, we picked him up an hour later at another one of their clubs. The manager was with him, and, uh, oh, Benny Stark. Now, he used Benny, to... yeah, I know. Trigger man for Nick's mob in the old days. Fifteen years overdue for hanging. That's our Benny. Anyhow, they, they both swear that Nick was there from 1.30 on. Uh-huh. What about a paraffin test, Ed? Positive, clear to the elbow, and you can throw it out the window. What do you mean? Earlier that evening, Nick spent two hours at a shooting gallery uptown firing a pistol. Ooh, smart, huh? He really planned for it. He really did. Without a witness, we haven't got a chance. I understand there was a witness. Some girl who was mixed up in it. Easy, Johnny. You're talking to a Rafferty. Hmm, so the girl's Irish. Miss Kathleen O'Dare. Old country, back three generations. County Kildare. <laughs> then naturally, she's as innocent as a newborn babe. Naturally. Then how does she figure well, a taxi driver who knows her said that he saw her leave the club five minutes after the shot. She denied it, said that she left at closing time. Well, now, in my book, she was lying. Scared to talk, huh? Paralyzed. And with plenty of reason. You know Sharon's reputation. Mm. Well, what about the cab driver? Now, I changed his story. He said it might have been some other girl he saw. Oh, no, don't tell me, Ed. Let me guess. <laughs> That's right. His name's O'Toole. Yeah. And I forgot to mention that Kathleen's pretty. Naturally. Anyhow, I let her go. I had to. And when I went around to talk to her this morning, she'd flown the coop. Any chance some of Nick's boys grabbed her? I don't think so. It looked more like she came home, packed in a hurry, took her kid, and blew. Kid? Ah, eight-year-old daughter. Irish and a mother, too. I was on sacred ground. Oh, I was fingering me gun. <laughs> no, seriously, Johnny. Would you find her? She may be able to break Nick's alibi, and it's our only chance. And it might be her only chance. Nick Sheeran's not the boy to leave a loose end lying around. I know. I've got 30 men checking bus depots, airlines. And no luck, huh? In this mess, this time of year, I'm a hard-boiled cop, Johnny. I've got no Christmas spirit. I'm glad it only comes once per annum. Well, there's not very much to go on, that's for sure. I'll see what I can turn up, Ed. Check with you later. All right, that's fine. Oh, oh, oh by the way, Johnny. Yeah? Uh, about that friend of yours. What friend? Uh... The guy with the motorbikes. Uh, how, how, how would I be getting in touch with him? Oh, yeah. His name's Ralph Sterner. He's in the phone book, office in the Mackley building. 
Hard-boiled cop. Ah. <laughs> well, uh, they're kids only young ones. Yeah, sure. Now, you find that O'Dare girl. Find her, keep her alive, and get her to talk. How long have I got to find her? Uh, what do you mean? Nick Shearn. How much longer can you hold him? Johnny, he was turned loose an hour ago. So that was it. A lot of maybes, a lot of questions, and a lot of pressure. A job to be done and done fast. Find one Kathleen O'Dare, former hat check girl at the Shea Colette. Keep Nick Shearn's hoodlums away from her and persuaded to talk. And three to one, Nick was looking for her too. He was free now, on the loose. And he might be anywhere. Only the way it turned out, he wasn't just anywhere. He was in one particular place. Johnny. Parked right smack in front of the precinct station. Over here, Johnny. He was sitting in the back seat of a sedan, and his trigger man, Benny Stark, was at the wheel. Johnny? About five years, as I remember it, Nick. It was that warehouse robbery over in Queens when you got away with $40,000 worth of furs. Uh-uh, you've forgotten. I was acquitted on that one. Oh, yeah, I know. After they pulled the only witness out of the East River, his feet in a bucket of cement. Just coincidence. I've never seen him before. You've seen Miss O'Dare before. Sure I have. She works for me. She's a good kid, Johnny. So I hear. Well, I wouldn't harm a hair on that girl's head. She'll be relieved when I tell her that. Get in. I want to talk to you. No, no, no. Sorry, Nick. I like it fine, just the way it is. In the car, I'd be outnumbered. You got me all wrong, Johnny. I don't play that way anymore. What about Benny? Has he reformed, too? Well, if that's what... Benny, go take a walk. Yeah, boss, but... I said go take a walk. Okay. Get in, Johnny. What's on your mind, Nick? You were uh, working on this case? Yeah, I'm on it. Why? That's what I figured. I was talking to my lawyer in there and saw you go to Rafferty's office. I guess the insurance company's going to try to welch on that claim. It's your party, it? Nick. You talk. I got a better idea. What's that? You know, it's real nice out in Las Vegas this time of year, Johnny. A man can have a lot of fun out there for the next month with maybe $10,000 to play with? What man are you talking about? You. I don't have $10,000. You will. 30 minutes from now, if you say the word. Oh, Nick, you're lucky we're not standing out there on the sidewalk. In a car seat, I haven't got room to swing. You're still a fool, huh? I don't know. Why don't you write me about it? You'll have plenty of time. You're up there in the desk cell. Suppose I didn't make any claim on that policy. Then you wouldn't have any reason to stay on a case. No sale, Nick. A hundred grand is a lot of money. I'd want to find out why you didn't make a claim. You know why. You're out to pin us on me, and so are the cops. A man with a record hasn't got a chance. You should have thought of that before you killed Mel Pryker. Want to know something, Johnny? I didn't kill him. Well, I'm betting you did. What do you care who killed him? You're not shedding any tears over it. No, but I'd sure hate to see you get away with it. And I'd hate it even more if anything happened to that girl. Kathy O'Dare? Now, what could happen to her? She just might fall in the river. She probably thinks she's safe as long as she hides from the police and refuses to talk. She doesn't know you very well. You had me all wrong, Johnny. You know, you hear a lot about peace on earth, goodwill toward men around this time of year. But I don't have much goodwill toward the kind of rat you are. And I figured there'd be more peace on earth if you weren't on it. Push me and maybe that's what'll happen. Well, at least that's fair warning. Yeah, that's fair warning. I'm going to tag you for this, Nick. You can count on it. 
Expense account item two, $2.40. Taxi to the east side rooming house of Kathy O'Dare. I didn't have much hope of turning up anything. Ed Rafferty and his men had already been through the place inch by inch. But it was the only starting point I had. The landlady was out and a uniformed policeman let me into Kathy's flat. I spent an hour and a half and got nowhere. I went through her mail, bills, advertisements, casual notes from men she'd met at the club. But nothing personal, not even a postcard. There were no pictures, photographs of Kathy or her daughter anywhere in the flat. She'd made a clean sweep, then left in a hurry. And obviously, she didn't mean to be found. But I had to find her, and fast. It was dusk when I left. The street lamps were on, and the colored Christmas lights in the windows along the block. Snow was falling in big, soft, gentle flakes, and there was a holiday feeling in the air. It was neither the time nor the setting for murder. Big contribution, son. Give a little something to help poor. Oh, sure. How's it going this year, Santa? Oh, it's better than usual, but it just seems there's never enough to go around, no matter how... Well, bless you, son. Thank you kindly. Don't mention it. Good luck, Pop. Thank you, son. Well, the city ought to clean the streets better. I've been waiting for you. Sorry, Benny. It's not my day for punks. Get some friends who want to talk to you. Start walking, Johnny, down the alley. Uh-uh. It's dark down there. Start walking. This ain't just my hand in my pocket. It better be, Benny, with two cops standing up there on the porch watching. What are you talking about? There ain't no cops. Sir... I smashed him in the mouth and knocked him flat. Followed it up and kicked his gun. Right. I got it. He rolled over, came to his feet, and rushed me. I was right. hoping he would. Right. He have that coming, son? He had it coming. Well, he, he sure did get it. Yeah. Hey, you know something, Pop? I think Benny wants to make a contribution to help the poor. Well, he ain't saying no. <laughs> oh, he's a good boy, at the moment at least. Here you go. That ought to help some. Two, three, four, five hundred dollars. Put it where it'll do the most good. Well, Merry Christmas, son. Happy New Year. Yeah, same to you, Pop, and many more of them. Hey, Taxi! Johnny Dollar. This is Mrs. Gottler speaking. Gottler? I'm Catherine O'Dare's landlady. Oh, yeah. And that's word you wanted to talk to me. That's right. I'm trying to find Miss O'Dare. Do you know where she is? You a friend of hers? I think I will be once I meet her. I'm an insurance investigator. I want to help her. That's what the other one said. Yeah. What do you mean? What other one? The fellow that come up here a while ago, short, mean-faced, shifty-eyed. Benny Stark? Was that his name? He didn't say, Mr. Dollar. I guess he was too busy. Busy? Doing what? Breaking my good right arm. I'll be right over. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, New York City, to the Home Office, Tri-Mutual Insurance Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Nick Shearn matter. Expense account continued. Item five, $2.30. Taxi to Mrs. Gottler's rooming house, the place Kathy O'Dare had called home until she disappeared. Mrs. Gondler. That I, uh... Well, look, I'm Johnny Dollar. I talked to you on the phone. It's all right. You can put that gun down. Well, I guess it's you all right. I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar, but I've only got one good arm left. 
And I'm aiming to keep it. Pull up a chair. Thanks. Oh, kind of rough boy, huh? Oh, I'd have showed him who was rough if I could have got a hold of my gun. I'd have blasted him, Christmas week or not. I'd have blasted him, Mr. Dollar. Yeah, I know how you feel. And me with all these presents to wrap. How can you wrap presents with one arm? That is being a paper hanger. Well, I'll be glad to help out, Mrs. Gottler. I won't guarantee what they'll look well, like. Well, and I sure do appreciate it. And don't worry about their looks. I got to get them wrapped, that's all. Oh, let's see now. Uh, this paper goes on that one. Oh, all right. It's a water muffler for my nephew over in Brooklyn. You know, them terrible winters they have over there. Oh, yeah, they're frightful. Of course, it may be better this year. The Dodgers won the pennant. Ah, nothing but luck. It won't happen next year. <laughs> you never know. Hey, tell me something, Mrs. Gottler. How come Benny worked you over? Hmm? Why did he break your arm? Here. Stick this card on it huh? as soon as you get the ribbon tied. Oh, okay. No time of year like Christmas, I'll... Well, he wanted to know where Kathy went. When I said I didn't know, he jumped onto me. Said I was lying. If I could have got hold of that gun... Where uh, did she go, by the way? You aiming to break my other arm, Mr. Dollar? With all these packages to wrap? Here, hold your finger on that knot. Tie it tight now. The postmen in Brooklyn are always busting things open. No. Well, that's one down. Where did you say she went? Oh, I didn't. No, this one I'll deliver myself, so it don't need to be wrapped so careful. All righty. Kathy lit out of here in the middle of the night. You think I'd sit up 24 hours a day spying on my rumors? You might, if the rumor happened to be one of your special favorites. Who told you that? What's the difference? She was, wasn't she? Kathy was everybody's favorite. Anybody that ever met her. Oh, you'll meet them as make remarks about a girl that works in a nightclub. But I'll tell you one thing, Mr. Dollar. Kathleen O'Dare is a fine lady as you'd ever care to find. And I would care to find her. Well, good luck to you, then. And if you do, let me know where she is. You helped her pack, didn't you? Now, how did you know that? Here, here, here. That's about as good as I can get it. Be careful when you deliver it, though. It's not tied very tight. I didn't know, Mrs. Gottler. I was guessing, but it figured. Kathy was scared half to death when she packed up and left here. All she had on her mind was to run and hide... She wouldn't have thought of stripping that flat, taking out every bit of personal identification. Somebody had to help her. Now, where'd she go? I don't know. Look, look, you don't get the idea. I'm on her side. She's up against a rough deal and doesn't even know it. You've had a sample of the way those boys play, and that was only a sample. With Kathy, it'll be a whole lot worse. They're looking for her, and sooner or later, they'll find her. Her only chance is for me to get to her first, so you... I'm not lying, Mr. Dollar. I don't know where she went, and that's the truth to help me. Tried to get her to tell me, but she wouldn't. She said if I knew it would be dangerous for me. I helped her pack, yes, but I don't know where she was going. Well, that's that, I guess. I don't know where to turn next. She apparently didn't have any other close friends. I don't even know what she looks like. I've never even seen a picture of her. I was hoping you well, could... Well, if that'll do you any good, I've got one right here in my sewing basket. One what? A picture. What did you think? Give it to me about a year ago. She's never had many taken, but here it is. Thanks. Real pretty girl, don't you think so? Yeah, she's lovely. Well, at least I'll be able to wreck... When was this taken, Mrs. Gottler? Now, how should I know? Three or four years ago, I guess, before she came here to the city. This photographer's address, the name of the town, is that where she came from, Brambury, Michigan? Well, yes, that's her hometown, Brambury. I'd forgotten the name of it. And she was just talking about it a week or so ago. She wanted to go home for Christmas, but... She said she couldn't see. Mr. Dollar, do you think she might? Maybe. It's the most likely place a scared girl would run to, home. Anyway, it's worth a chance. Mrs. Gottler, uh, I love you. Why, Mr. Dollar. 
Why, Mr. Dollar. Expense account item six, $88.35. Hotel and incidentals in New York and transportation to Brambury, Michigan. Brambury turned out to be a lumber village, half hidden among the pine-covered hills. It was a little bigger than a wide spot in the road, but not much bigger. A foot of new snow had fallen within the past 24 hours. A fluffy white blanket lay softly on the trees and the housetops and filled the deep hollows in the frozen ground. Men in bright red flannel shirts drove horse-drawn logging sleds through the forest trails, and their shouts sounded sharp and clear, a crystalline tinkle in the icy air. Brambury looked like the place where Christmas was invented. It was beautiful. And very quiet when it came to putting out information. I found it out first when I tried the local telephone operator. Number, please. I uh, just checked in here at the hotel operator. There doesn't seem to be a phone book, people so... People steal them, that's why. Traveling people going through. Oh, uh, souvenir hunters, I suppose. How's that? Uh, look, I wanted to call the O'Dares. Could it's you put... Oh, and that's the one I want to call. Would you mind ringing him? Won't do no good. He ain't there. He's slabbing up at number four mill today. Well, actually, it's his daughter I want to talk daughter? to. Daughter? Yeah, that's right. Kathleen. Do you know her? Just growed up with her, is all. Oh, well, would you mind... Are you a friend of hers? No, I've never met her, Where but... Where are you from? I came here from New York, What's but I... What's your name? Johnny Dollar. Now, would you please ring Kathleen and... She don't live and... here. She lives in New York City. I know where she lives. And what give you the idea she'd be up here? I'm psychic. Look, where can I get in touch with her? I wouldn't know anything about it, Mr. Dollar, and I can't give out that kind of information. You better go on back to New York and write her a letter. Let me talk to your supervisor. Supervisor? Well, I'm all there is, so I guess that's me. Start talking. Forget it. You're welcome. I got the same kind of runaround from the hotel proprietor. As soon as I mentioned Kathy, he suddenly forgot his own name, age, and the time of day. One thing's sure, this town took care of its own. I wondered if the law in Brambury would take the same attitude. I decided I'd better go find out. As it happened, I didn't have far to go. On the sidewalk in front of the hotel, the law came to me. Just a second there, mister. Hmm? I'd like to have a little talk with you, if you don't mind. All right. Quite a change to find somebody here who wants to talk. I understand you just got in from New York. Here on business? Look, you know why I'm here, but now everybody in town knows. Got any identification on you? Yeah. Have you? My name's Martin. Dan Martin. I'm the deputy sheriff in charge of this part of the county. Oh, then you're just the man I was looking for. Is that so? I'm Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. I'm looking for a girl named Kathleen O'Dare. Do you know where she is? What do you want with her? I'm working on a murder case. She's a witness. Is there any kind of a charge against her? No, I just want to talk to her. What makes you think she's here? Are you a friend of hers, Mr. Martin? I've been in love with Kathy since we went to grade school. I'd be willing to die for her. Does that answer your question? All right, let me put it this way. You think you're helping her by hiding her out. All of you think so. But you're wrong. You're helping her right into her grave. Kathy doesn't figure it that way. She's scared. She doesn't know what she thinks. I know these boys who are after her. They don't play kid games. And sooner or later, they're going to find her. So if you love her, and if you know where she is, you better take me to her before it's too late. I don't know. I don't know what it is Kathy's mixed up in. I didn't want to ask her. But I know it isn't the police she's afraid of. 
And I don't think it's you. No, at the time she ran out, I wasn't even in the picture. I'm on her side, too, Mr. Martin, and I've got to see her. Go talk to her father, old Mike. See what he thinks. He's not at home right now. Yeah, I know. He's out at number four mill. How do I get there? The county pickup truck is parked down the block. The tire chains bit into the packed snow and pushed the four miles of logging road behind us. It was late afternoon and the sun had dropped behind the timbered slopes, throwing a pale sheet of cold yellow against the western sky. Here and there, a few scattered lights were coming on in the windows of the village and the bunkhouses of the lumber camps. Bright white smarks against the darkening shadows. Emptiness, loneliness, and somewhere in it a frightened girl in hiding. A girl who'd run away from the city of a hundred million lights and from an unsolved murder. Michael Deere was winding up a job working at the big slabbing saw, and I stood by and waited for him to finish. Good night with you, Mr. Dollar. This is the last one. Okay. Of it now until after Christmas. Yeah, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. That's all right, Mr. O'Dare. My name is Johnny. Never mind, I know all about you. Dan Martin phone. Said you was on your way out. Mr. Dollar, the answer is no. I see. I've had it over since Dan called. Before I'd have anything happen to Kathy, I'd rather see ten murderers going home. Now look, hiding out won't help. As long as Nick Shearn is free, Kathy's in danger. He can't hurt her if he can't find her. I found her, Mr. O'Dare. Just by luck. There's not one chance in a million of... Sounds like a car. Who the tarnation would drive out here this time of the evening. We walked over to the big doors. The car had stopped about 20 yards away. A man got out and turned toward us. I was standing under the dock light, so he recognized me before I got a good look at him. He jumped back in the car and went for his gun. Benny Stark. Get back, Mr. O'Dare. It was too dark to get a decent shot. I tried once more. And missed, and the car disappeared behind the trees. Mr. Dollar, who was it? Was that one of them? That's right, Mike. They found her. There'll be another intriguing episode in our story of the Nick Shearn matter tomorrow. Tomorrow, a lonely vigil in the snow, a killer prowls the night, and a lovely lady vanishes. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. What a strong start. A good mystery, and despite any ideas you might have about Christmas stories having to be light and sentimental, it's pretty clear from the word go that Johnny isn't playing. Up to this point, I don't think we've heard Bailey's Johnny Dollar get as angry as he was at Churn, but that was definitely understandable. At the same time, Johnny is also a font of goodwill both to Santa Claus in the first episode and the landlady in episode two. I think that time and time again in these first two parts were having the general atmosphere of goodwill at Christmas being contrasted with the cruelty and greed of Shern and Benny. And that's what drives his anger. It's an interesting dynamic. Finally, few statements have aged as poorly as old Mike, who didn't even get to say no one would find Kathleen before he was proven wrong. Uh, also, I said finally, but I will throw this in, some solid sound effect work so far. I particularly love what we heard at the mail. Well, listener comments and feedback now, and uh, we have some comments regarding the open town matter, and we start with this from Emmett, who uh, writes over on Spreaker. You can leave comments directly on Spreaker. Uh, this was definitely one of those recycled uh, stories we get now and then. When I heard the final episode, I was amazed so little had happened, yet we were at the conclusion which was no big surprise since the guilty party essentially had a neon sign on her forehead saying, I am really up to no good. But as is always the case with Johnny Dollar, the strength of the acting made the entire set of five stories well worth listening to. It's just so well done that for me, it could have been stretched to ten episodes and I'd still love it. Contrast that with, for instance, Mr. Chameleon, whose half hour seems just over thirty. <laughs> well, thanks for the comment, Emmett, and I guess that's certainly a perspective to take, and I would agree that the acting on this is solid, and sometimes solid acting can eh, say mediocre stories. Matt uh, uh, emailed in, hey Adam, I was writing to agree with you about the open town matter being a subpar serial, although for a different reason. I found it to be a very Thin Man-esque case where you wait until the last 10 minutes, think about which character had lines and no motive, and that's your killer. I will say I enjoyed it more than a serial from a couple months ago that was so padded that the first three episodes were just Johnny interviewing a different person for 10 minutes. Give me a, a seal full of diamonds any day. But it's kind of interesting here because Emmett said that the killer was obvious and Matt said it wasn't obvious and it wasn't somebody that you would have expected. And I guess it comes down to the question of whether you view the mayor or Marty as the ultimate villain of the story or the ultimate responsible party. Because Marty was obvious... And the mayor, I think, particularly to modern listeners, was a little less so. As to the one with the episodes where Johnny was interviewing multiple people, I think that was referring to the Broderick matter. And I liked it because I can uh, really enjoy and get into multiple different types of stories. And the Broderick matter was really about 
really coming to grips with who this character was. And you learn that through all of the interviews that Johnny did. So it was building towards a mystery, but, you know, different people obviously have different tastes. So I can uh, respect your perspective on that. And then we have a comment. This one comes from Facebook. And Preston writes uh, regarding that... uh, The plot of this one is kind of ponderous compared to others in the series. Also, what is a wide-open town? Well, Preston, that's actually a good question. And that's one of those phrases. You asked that question, and I had a picture in my mind of what it meant. But it's one of those things where you know what it means, but it's kind of hard to put into precise words. And the best thing I could do, because I couldn't find like a dictionary definition, what makes a wide open town, is find a town that was described that way that explains why it was viewed that way. And I found a book description for a book on Amazon about Kansas City, during Prohibition and what's known as the Pendergast Era, which stretched essentially from the turn of the century to 1940. And the book description says, During the post-war era, political boss Tom Pendergast reigned, and Kansas City was said to be wide open. Prohibition was rarely enforced, the mob was ascendant, and urban vice was rampant. So in essence, in this town, you had a situation where there was a lot of organized criminal activity, rackets, public vice, operating illegally, but without any effective opposition from the law. Now, I did mention that the mayor may not have been seen as an obvious suspect to modern listeners, but I think many who heard that, original listeners, who knew what an open town was, would not have been shocked that some of the political corruption included the mayor being in on it. Then we go to YouTube where we had a comment on the purling matter, where Eugene writes, Johnny's a social worker. He's a people problem solver. To quote the immortal Mr. Peavy regarding the first part, I would say, well, now, I wouldn't say that. But people problem solver, Johnny will do that. If he can help, he'll certainly do that. And regarding the Academy Award Theater adaptation of The Maltese Falcon, TZ3218 writes, Crazy and convoluted plot, but who cares? Thanks. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your comment. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Lisa. Lisa has been one of our Patreon supporters since May of 2021, currently supporting the podcast at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Lisa. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow it using your favorite podcast software. If you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, mark the notification bell, and if you like, leave a comment. We'll be back on Friday with the conclusion of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. But our Christmas programming 
continues tomorrow with Dangerous Assignment, where... Uh, Mr. Mitchell, Kurt has disappeared. What? Yes, uh, that little girl who just left my office was Ilsa, a playmate of his. I've been questioning her, but she has no idea where he is. I, I'm worried sick. When did he disappear? I, I'm not sure, really. What do you mean? Well, last evening, a, a woman came to see Kurt. She told me she was his aunt. Kurt's father told me Kurt had no other relatives. But how was I to know that? She said she was his aunt, and I saw no reason to doubt her. Go on. I sent her to his room. I believe she left when regular visiting hours were over. That would be at uh, nine o'clock last evening. What do you mean you believe she left? Aren't you sure? Well, as a matter of fact, I turned in rather early last night. Had a splitting headache. Sounds uh, like a pretty careless way to run a boarding school, Dr. Wakefield. I resent that, Mr. Mitchell. And I hope you'll be with us then. And as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, the round-robin Christmas crossover that I'm doing with three other old-time radio podcasters continues on Andrew Ryan's Old Time Radio Westerns podcast, where we are going to be listening to an episode of Challenge of the Yukon. We'll include a five-minute sample after I sign off. If you want to listen to the rest of the program as well as our commentary, you can check us out at the Old Time Radio Westerns. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash great detectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. Now, as gunshots echo across the windswept, snow-covered reaches of the wild northwest, Quaker pop wheat and Quaker pop rice, a breakfast cereal shot from guns, Present Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. It was an hour before midnight on Christmas Eve. Large drifting flakes of snow fell softly and lay in shimmering whiteness on the trail as Sergeant Preston and a young Mountie recruit drove along the main road from Dawson toward Silverton, ten miles south. Instead of the usual dog team and sled, the two Mounties drove a horse-drawn sleigh, known as a cutter. The great dog king seemed to enjoy the unusual experience as he lay on the edge of the fur lap robe at their feet. The young Mountie was saying, I appreciate your invitation to go to Silverton with you tonight, Sergeant. I don't know what it's all about, but I don't think it'll change my opinion that once someone passes the Santa Claus stage, Christmas has little meaning. Tom, I invited you to come with me tonight because you expressed that opinion when I asked if you were going to the barracks Christmas party tomorrow. I think Santa Claus is a symbol of the spirit of Christmas. It represents kindness, generosity, and good fellowship. I'm hoping, Tom, you'll find out tonight the real spirit and meaning of Christmas. Why are we going to Silverton, Sergeant? What's this all about? I think I have just time enough to tell you a story, Tom, if you care to hear it. Of course. You've heard of Mr. Sawyer, who came to Silverton about eight months ago and bought the mining company there, haven't you? Yes. Yes, Sergeant. I I was in the general store there last summer when his boy, a young upstart, about ten or twelve, was boasting about his father's wealth. That boy, Jerry Sawyer, is part of my story. 
About three weeks ago, Bill Hawkins, manager at the mine, went to Mr. Sawyer's office in Silverton to get the payroll and take it back to the mine headquarters. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Mr. Sawyer. Is the payroll money ready? It came from the bank a short time ago. I'll count it and lock it in the bag for you to take out to the cashier at the mine. By the way, how's old Marlowe getting along? As a matter of fact, sir, Marlowe resigned. He took a job at the bank in Dawson. Huh? But I took on a new man last week. Nice young chap who was recommended by Marlowe. Uh-huh. I understand he was a bank teller in Selkirk. Came here about six months ago. Where did he leave the bank? Cashier's job at the mine pays more. And he needs money badly. Uh, he has an invalid wife and an eight-year-old girl. Oh, that's too bad. What uh, happened to the wife to cause her condition? Thrown from a horse a few months ago. Hasn't been able to walk since. Bentley hopes to earn enough money someday to pay a good surgeon to examine her. Bentley? Is that the new man's name? That's right. David Bentley. He and his family live in that rather... Lapidated little cottage at the east end of town. Oh, David Bentley. You say he arrived in Selkirk about six months ago? That's right, sir. Came here from Seattle. He handles the cashier's job at the mine very well. Good, good. Well, I'll get the money from the safe. I hope that new fellow is trustworthy, considering the fact he's so badly in need of cash. Oh, I'm sure he is, Mr. Sawyer. Yeah. Well, here's the cash. Put the bag on my desk and open it. All right, sir. Yes. The cash, as usual, is in bundles of $500 each. Here are 11 bundles to make the necessary 5500 for the payroll. Huh? I'll put them into the bag. There's one bundle, two, three, four. And I say, by the way, Bill, make sure I lock the safe, will you? Yes, sir. It's locked, Mr. Sawyer. Good. Well, this is ready for you. You better get started back to the mine now. All right. The uh, new cashier out there will need time to make out the envelopes. Have the locked the bag. I'll start back right away. Bentley will be able to have the envelopes filled and ready by noon. Later, Bill Hawkins arrived at the mine headquarters and turned the locked bag over to the cashier, David Bentley, and went out, leaving Bentley alone in the office to make up the envelopes. Short time later, Hawkins returned to the headquarters office. Mr. Hawkins, I was just coming to find you. The payroll is short. What's that? Look here. Only ten bundles when there should be eleven. It, it's five hundred dollars short. Mr. Sawyer must have made a mistake. Oh, no. I saw him put eleven bundles of cash in that bag. He locked it at the town office, and you're the only other person who has a key to unlock it. But when I unlocked the bag, there were only ten bundles in it. Listen, David. One of the men rode back from town with me, and that bag was locked. Only you and the boss have keys to it, and I know for certain he put in 11 bundles of cash. Well, there are only 10 now. 